Unlocking what was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So anyways, Mike, I think that it's fair to say that if it wasn't for Jimmy Eat World, I definitely would have written myself out by now. Like, you wouldn't exist anymore, is that what you're saying? Is this a Stranger Than Fiction moment? Correct, yeah. I think we're all just, this is all just a novel, Mike. This is all a simulation. Everyone thinks that this is the Matrix, but really, it's we're in a paperback novel book. Mm, and we're live. We are live in this paperback novel right now. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. An exciting week in the uh, pop punk world, of course, among other things. We are going to be talking about some a lot of pop punk today, actually, but Blink-182 are back. It's been about a year since they put out a single. They're back again. Uh, we're back again. <laughs> they keep coming back every year or so. Uh, a year ago, they put out Edging, which we talked about on this podcast, I think. Yeah. We weren't super hot on that first single, um, and it's been pretty much radio silent since then. I mean, they've toured basically all of North America and some of Europe since then. I think most of the world. Tom is back. It's all very exciting. But this week, they basically shadow dropped, if you will, two singles and a music video and an album release, October 20th. The two singles that they put out was One More Time, which accompanied with a music video and More Than You Know. I wanted to, t- I wanted to talk to you about these songs. What are your first impressions of them? Oh, man. Uh, the, the One More Time single was so, it was so good. I honestly really loved it, especially because, yeah, like you said, edging wasn't a great song for us uh i didn't i didn't love that it felt a little uh a little cliche i guess i I, not not even cliche i don't know i just didn't like it but it's okay because one more time was a fantastic song great great video if you haven't already if you'd like blink 182 uh go check out the music video for one more time Uh, it it hits you in the feels real hard for sure it shows a lot of older footage of the of the boys back in the day and just blink Mm -hmm. uh growing up and uh good lyrics and good song good harmonies um and everything thomas got some auto tune on his voice which was a little interesting but i was like whatever that's fine i guess uh, yeah. and travis sings he is well kind of travis says things <laughs> he talks <laughs> he, talks. he, he talks. says one more yeah. time travis with probably his first ever ever vocal credit on a blink 182 song so that was kind of cool yeah he actually is technically quoted or uh i guess recorded in one of which album is it i think it's california but you hear one of them go like ah like because they screw up that's oh him. okay yeah i think that's california uh but anyway that it's obviously not singing yeah this time he actually says words which i'm going to be very fascinated to see if he does that live because they very rarely let him even talk on stage or he doesn't want to talk he rarely ever says hi or anything into a microphone so i'll be excited to see what they do with that song live i'm also a really big fan of both of these singles Mm. uh they're both head and shoulders better than edging in my opinion Uh, i wasn't hot on that song last year there's just something about it it's just too too cliche, too cookie cutter, too basic. The lyrics were just kind of just dumb. I guess that's what they were trying to just show is that they're back, they're goofy. Tom is here and he's doing his old sounding voice again, which is kind of cool. It's it's hard to explain, but his voice definitely changed when he did Angels and Airwaves. Yes. Uh, and then when he came back for uh, Neighborhoods was kind of weird. And then um, since then, he's kind of gone back to that uh, old. This really sounds a lot like their self-titled uh, album in terms of his voice style. Yes. Especially with One More Time, it sounds a lot like uh, Miss You 
uh, and they say I miss you. <laughs> they do. Yeah, that definitely did help when they mentioned, uh, you know, how long does it have to, or what do I have to do for you to say I miss you or whatever? Yeah. I, I don't know the words yet, but really big fan of the the music video too. Really cool. Uh, just a callback to basically all of their music videos and their live stuff too. Uh, they kind of green screen them into a lot of their iconic shows over the years yeah. with the big on fire F-U-C-K, um, their show on some beach, I think it's somewhere in California, and the Mark, Tom, and Travis show as well, them green screened onto that album cover, which you sent me a screenshot of that, and where you were like, I'm a hundred, like, a big fan of this video. <laughs> big fan, all in, and yes, the new album comes out October 20th. Neil, October 20th mm-hmm. is a jam-packed day, my God. I know. Ten days before my birthday. It's the lead-up, Mike. They need to release everything at once. We've got the new Blink record, Mario Wonder, and Spider-Man 2 for the PlayStation, for the ten PlayStation 5 owners out there. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Those things are selling faster now, but what a stacked day. That's yeah. basically like the Barbenheimer day for uh, for us. Yeah, exactly. This is our Barbenheimer. This is our Wonder Man 2. Wonder Man 2. Mar- how are we gonna do this? Ba- Mar Marbling Man. Marbling Mar- Man. Man. <laughs> that's that's right, folks. It's Marbling Man on October twentieth. Get get your socials going. We're gonna start this we're gonna start this trend right now. Marbling Man two. We'll see if we can do it. Barbenheimer was a good day. We had Pikmin 4 in there, too, so I can't forget that. And Barbie was a great movie. Haven't actually seen Oppenheimer yet. Uh, it's Just haven't had the time to watch a three-hour movie about uh, the uh, the atomic bomb, but I'll get around to it. That's going to be a crazy day, though. <laughs> I'm excited for Mario Wonder. I My problem is that I don't usually buy myself new stuff in October, just like yeah. as a personal rule for my birthday, especially 10 days out, so... That's going to be incredibly hard. I'm going to have to avoid – I might have to disappoint some family members with that. We'll have to wait and see. But we talked about this earlier in the summertime about uh, – uh, during one of the Nintendo Directs, I think it was back in June, where they announced basically everything at once with Mario Wonder, Mario RPG, Hot Wheels 2, and it was all October. And I was like, you are really testing my patience this year, <laughs> video games and Nintendo. But at least with the Blink album, I can listen to that on Spotify the day it comes out, and I'll pick up Spider-Man 2 when I can finally afford a PlayStation 5 in 2030. So – uh, that's going to be a really fun time. I just need to give a quick shout out, Mike. We talked a lot about my uh, my wedding last week on last week's episode, mm. and uh, I posted on our story, I mentioned this, that I posted a photo of me in front of the show Brandon enjoying some Oreo Cakesters, which I did share on our uh, on our Instagram page. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mentioned a, a little quote there that said, you know, this is how we eat Oreo Cakesters in Canada. And I, I, I tagged Oreo Canada in there. Radio silence from them. So, wow. uh, Oreo Canada, I know you're listening. Um, don't be a coward. Uh, give us the Cakesters. We know you have them. We know you have the ability to bring them up north, and uh, we need them here right now. We need them. And speaking of stories, Neil, I love that story that you posted. I posted a story this week. I posted a poll, and we actually got some good results from it. And now this poll on Instagram came from friend of the show and disembodied voice, Victor, who, of course, we'll be hearing, I'm sure, uh, later later this, this uh, episode at some point. Um, and him saying bringing up something very strange saying that he listens to headphones and listens to music on headphones uh in the dental office in the dentist chair when he goes to the dentist Mm. and uh our friends were like what is this real and he said yes most assuredly it is real so uh, we had to pull the listeners out there and everyone who follows us on instagram to see uh, what side they fall on, if they fall on the normal people side or if they fall on the Victor uh, side of chaos uh, here. And mm. turns out uh, the world is somewhat balanced, Neil. We're okay. 79% of people 
uh, said that they know they do not listen to music. They do not put headphones on while they are at the dentist. And 21% of people actually said that they do, that they saw they fall on the victor side of things and that they do listen to music while in the dentist chair. Interesting. I've done it once, uh, but it was it was not the regular dentist. I had gum grafting done like 10 years ago. Mm. Um, and they put me under, but like not like fully under, like that kind of half, kind of you're in a daze. And uh, they said I could listen to music, so I was like, sweet, I guess I yeah. will. And I think I listened to a podcast or something, but there was no chance of me talking to them anyway because they were fixing my gum line. <laughs> um, I think that's the only time I've ever had headphones on at the dentist. Um, I might get into it, though, because I just, since I moved a few years ago, I just recently started at a new dentist. So I kind of feel like when you start at a new practice, you have the ability to kind of do whatever you want. Like, yes. like I couldn't have done it with my dentist that I went to as a kid and I have a rapport with them. They know my parents. You know, there's like a whole thing. I got to talk about my sister's wedding and my yep. wedding and all that stuff. At least with this one, like they don't know me as personally. So I feel like I can probably get away with it now, actually. And I've only been to my new dentist, I think, twice. This is actually a good reminder. I'm definitely overdue for a dentist appointment. That's neither here nor there. But uh, I might get into this. Maybe do like one earbud in, one earbud out. I, I like going to the dentist. I find it actually somewhat relaxing. Yeah. I don't know. I'm one of the weird ones. Well, um, I I. Most of my family hate it. My wife hates it. Um, it I, I just, I find it, it's more, it's like a massage of the gums. I just feel good afterwards. Where did you fall on this, Mike? Do you listen to the headphone? I'm assuming you're a no headphone guy. So what do you do? You just stare at the just ceiling? Just stare at the ceiling and my dentist will like talk to me a little bit and I have to go, oh, bro, oh, oh, oh. What the hell's up with I, that? I know. It's, it's, I have the same thing now. Know me for like 25 years, knows the family. They have to ask all this stuff. Same yeah. thing with you doing the small talk. We actually got a message. We got a lot of messages, funny enough, uh, for support and, <laughs> against this <laughs> this poll uh game boys in the wild a great account over there on instagram message us saying that that they are actually a dentist and they like it when patients have music in because they just tune out and they can uh relax and they can just kind of go about their work so that there you go neil from a dentist themselves they say that they are <laughs> validating victor right now so victor is very happy he's cheering right now that he was validated there you have it. Nine out of 10 dentists agree that uh, <laughs> patients should wear their earbuds while they're uh, being worked That's on. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, I might get into that now with more things like when I get my hair cut, like all, everything. Let's just let's just go at earphones all the way, man. Yeah. Why stop at Uber drivers, you know? <laughs> but anyway, Mike, it's the last episode of the month. And as is tradition, we're going to look back 20 years into the world news, talk about some video games, music, movies, and just see what kind of things were happening uh, 20 years ago. And I got to say, September 2003, pretty damn boring. Really? Um, yeah, we should have definitely started some stuff when we were 10 years old in September just to like appear in the news. Here's what we got, Mike, in terms of video games. We got Freedom Fighters, NHL 04, and Simpsons Hit and Run, which Ooh. is actually not bad. I think uh, I think video games were probably the standout of, uh, of, of, of the month for sure, especially Simpsons Hit and Run. I know you're a big fan of that game. Yeah, turning 20. That's crazy that that uh, has turned 20 mm -hmm. this month, um, this year. Just insane. I, I, I remember when that came out, actually. I, I was... Probably a bit too young to play it, but it was uh, that's a pivotal time in gaming. And as we said, probably the best game ever made based on you know a, a series like a a TV series tie-in, so to speak. Uh, that was uh, that was a landmark game, the GTA for kids, as some say as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the GTA for kids, and uh, it was it was converting a, uh, a a show that we had known for at that point basically twenty years into three D, which is not a small task, no, no. Uh, for sure. In terms of movies, it was a very, uh, very, very mild month in the in the movie theaters for sure. No Barbenheimer, 
Uh, in terms of music, we actually had a pretty decent uh, outing here for music. We had the I Get Along EP by The Libertines, which I listened to a ton of in grade nine. Uh, Alexis on Fire's self-titled album. Shout out to Marty and Harrison, uh, their podcast. The only podcast... Wait, what's it called? The only podcast you'll ever I think meet? it's just the only pod ever. Oh, right. Shout out to Marty and Harrison, the only pod ever, who just released a couple uh, weeks ago their their first podcast mm. where they're talking only about Alexis on Fire. So go check that out every Wednesday. Billy Talent's self-titled album came out. That's now 20 years old. Wow. Absolution by Muse came out in September of 2003. The Long Road by Nickelback, which I got for Easter, yes. I think in 2004. And Results May Vary by Limp Bizkit, which was not a good album. <laughs> <laughs> one of these things was not good. And, it's, and, yeah. and it turns out it's not the Nickelback one, Long Road. Long Road, great. Uh, didn't sell as well i just watched the nickelback documentary meal at uh, at tiff this year and uh, they talked about long road not meeting expectations as the the one with how i remind you uh on it i forget what that album's name is i think that's that's silver side yes. up i think i they're all mixed up for me i like the long road that's got someday on yeah. it um that's the only song i can think of <laughs> off the top of my head actually i listened to that album a bunch in grade four i remember nickelback I, I really want to check out that documentary. I'm glad that you uh, you got a chance to check it out, and you recommended it to me too. I think I think I, I think I'd really like it. I hope it I hope it comes to streaming services it's and awesome. not just like Apple Plus or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but in terms of world news, couldn't find much except for a lot of unrest in the Middle East for some strange reason. Uh, the only the only fun news that I could find was uh, on September 12th, Valve released Steam. Oh wow! Just probably just. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, see, we were too young for sure to, like, mm -hmm. know what Steam was and be PC gamers, but uh, that yeah. would be curious to, to talk to someone who was older than us and, and what that meant when that was released. I'm not sure how big of an impact that had at first, and I'm, I'm sure, obviously, now Steam is, is the uh, way you play games and uh, mm -hmm. and buy games uh, from uh, a PC service st uh, standpoint, but, yeah, that would have been just an absolutely huge thing. In, in retrospect, but I'm not sure how it was on the day. Was the, Did people care on September 12, 2003? Who knows, Neil? Prob probably not as quite as much, especially not for kids. Like, we no. were still very much in the, you know, Nintendo GameCube, Ga Game Boy Advance. Getting PC games were exclusive to cereal boxes for us in this era. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so I can't imagine Steam looked nearly as, uh, as impressive as it does now, where you had reviews and message boards and really good customer service and just a really good UI. I can't imagine it looked quite that good, but Valve, great job, 20 years going. They do have basically a monopoly on PC gaming sales. Um, I, I even buy games on Steam sometimes, usually just Roller Coaster Tycoon and Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds games, but still, it's that's just what you, it's like the Amazon of PC games, basically. So, oh, yeah. Re really cool, really cool look back on the history of September 2003, but enough about that, Mike. I think that it's about time that we talk about some Bleed American. What do you think? Let's do it, Neil. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 31 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we love from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet, hosted by people who talk about the dentists. You can support the show on patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. Last week, we talked about canceled GameCube games. That was our Patreon elected episode, actually. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are talking about the 2001 album that broke the barrier between mainstream music and the underground emo scene. The album that paved the way for the massive 2000 bands like Paramore, Taking Back Sunday, Brand New, and countless other emo bands. I'm of course talking about Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American that hit the mainstream audiences all around Canada, North America. There were multiple singles that were released all over the radio. The, the songs were in movies and video games. And um, 
yeah, we're here to talk about that album that was released on May 8th, 2001, performed by Jimmy Eat World, produced by Mark Trombino, clocks in at 46 minutes and 38 seconds, sold 3 million copies worldwide, not nearly as good as the Blue Album, <laughs> and it's a punk rock, emo, skate punk, and metal album? I don't know how I feel about that, but <laughs> Mike, what are your memories of Bleed American and Jimmy Eat World from back in the day? Oh man, so I mean, I guess my initial memories of Jimmy Eat World are probably everyone's, which is just... Uh, hearing things like the middle sweetness mm-hmm. whether it was through movies or video games like you said or or just out in the wild uh somehow i know i definitely first heard them uh through the video game nhl 2003 that had sweetness as kind of the opening track uh the, the rolling t- so to speak of the uh <laughs> yeah. of the game and and they really were everywhere for a couple of years there uh, and it's one of the first songs that i had on my mp3 player when i when i graduated up to getting an mp3 player for my walkman was the middle i never owned any bleed american cds it wasn't until later that i started getting into them more and more i i only really listened to stuff from bleed american and some stuff from futures honestly uh until 2015 which is when i discovered uh clarity and i i discovered clarity because i was listening to youtube like uh, music on you uh on youtube during uh like my first kind of job and i there was sometimes there was just some lulls so i'd just be having some of these albums full it's you know you you'd search like dark side of the moon full album or whatever on on youtube and you still can (laughs) do that obviously but um yeah uh this was before a lot of people were doing spotify and stuff so i was listening to that and then i guess somehow it uh i was listening to some bands and jimmy world's clarity came on in the the youtube recommended algorithm and the full album came on, and I just hear Table for Glasses, and then uh, forget what the other song is right after that. But I was like, "Whoa, this is this is pretty good. <laughs> this is Jimmy. Oh yeah, Jimmy Eat World. I know Jimmy Eat World, of course. This is from the Bleed American stuff. Like I know the middle, but this doesn't sound like the middle. This doesn't sound like sweetness. Like this is pretty cool. And that was uh, my first foray, I think, into that sort of or that side of uh, Jimmy Eat World. And I, I loved that album so much. I thought it was such a perfectly crafted album. And I went back to listen to Bleed American. I was like, yes, this album is really good still. Uh, and I listened to Futures in full. And I didn't know that album that well other than the singles like Pain and, and, and stuff and 23. And there were some great, great tracks on there. And even some of their new ones like Integrity Blues and Surviving are fantastic albums. Uh, really, really good. And I didn't realize the kind of following that they had because I think I messaged from the show Brian, who's coming on for this episode, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> about Jimmy World being like, hey, man, like you like like this kind of music. Like, do you know about Jimmy World? Like, he's like, oh, yeah, man, like everyone in like the hardcore post hardcore scene, like secretly loves Jimmy World. And that was really interesting to me. And as I dove deeper, like, yeah, they have a really big fan base of a lot of varying genres of of what people listen to, but they kind of all come together for Jimmy and World. I kind of feel like it's the same way, like we talked about on the uh, Anima of the State album, uh, mm-hmm. where we talked about Blink-182 crossing over between uh, the sometimes not so much the goth kids, but like the emo kids, the prep kids, the jocks, like the nerds, like everybody listened to Blink in some way. Yeah. And Jimmy Eat World are that band as well, but they're definitely way less talked about, um, especially like because they have their big hits that everybody knows. And then they have 
a lot of albums. Like I think they have, what is it, 12 albums now at this point? 12 or 15 albums? Like a lot of records. They come out with new music all the time. And most people have forgotten them since 2001. Yeah. Uh, it was Bleed American that put them on the map. And then they quickly just kind of became obscure again, unfortunately. I don't think that I really listened to much of them other than in high school. It wasn't until Integrity Blues in 2016 where... Sure and certain, I think, is the song on that album, yeah. and that was played on the radio. And I think you might have you might have copied it into our Slack channel at the time or Discord. I can't remember. And you were like, "Oh, this song's actually pretty good." And then that got me right back into them yeah. and checking out all of their old stuff and all the stuff that I missed uh, between 2010, basically, which was on when we were in high school, and 2016 to now, 2023. But I was definitely the target of uh, all the music that we got in the movies and the shows and the video games. So for me, my introduction to Jimmy Eat World was, of course, The Middle. That song is in multiple movies in the early 2000s. Uh, Hear You Me is a song that's also in a bunch of shows yes. and movies from the mid-2000s, early to mid-2000s. So that's that's where I got introduced to them. and. Really didn't check out any of their CDs. I don't know if I own Bleed American physically. Uh, I'd have to go home and check. I think at my parents' place, I have just a box of CDs. <laughs> so I'm sure that I picked up Bleed American at some point from a value village for two bucks. Um, but all their stuff is on Spotify, which is where I listen to all my music anyway. Uh, but I listen to Jimmy World pretty regularly. Every week, oh, I would yeah. say, I listen, to, I listen to at least one or two Jimmy Eat World albums. It's usually Bleed American Futures or Chase This Light. I really like that album, but we're going to talk, we're going to talk about some of their other albums a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I've always kind of been like a fairly casual fan of them. I like, like the songs that I like, I really like. And then the stuff that I don't like by them, I just avoid. Yep. Like it's, it's really easy to avoid all their stuff that like you don't like because they don't play a lot of those songs live anymore. We actually saw them in Toronto almost a year ago to the day yeah. uh, that this episode is going live, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, they are amazing live. I had a ton of fun seeing them with you and Marty and a bunch of our, Jed was there too. A bunch of our friends were there. It was really cool. They came out, they opened with Futures, yes. which is just the choice. I think it was. it's between Futures and Bleed American are their two best opening songs. Yeah. It didn't really matter because they played both. Um, they, they played a really good mix of all the hits that people were there to see, like The Middle, like Hear You Me, like Futures, but then they also played some obscure stuff off of Clarity and they played some, like we did not think that we were going to see congratulations off of surviving and i remember looking over to you when they played congratulations <laughs> and you were like they're playing it if you haven't heard new jimmy Eat world songs and you're a big fan of bleed american check out surviving check out congratulations that song is sick it's a banger. Uh, great breakdown <laughs> towards the middle of the bridge it's amazing it's nothing like anything that they've ever done i love when they get experimental and that's the thing about bleed american is that it was a very safe record yes. they had to just get it done quick they had to get it done fairly cheap so they didn't get to be as experimental as they were on Clarity and some of the earlier stuff and then some of their later stuff. So that's the interesting thing about going back to Bleed American is that a lot of the songs are pretty catchy, pretty easy. The songs are all pretty basic, very easy to learn on guitar too. Yes. <laughs> uh, if, if you're a young musician like Mike and I both were at one point, even if you're an experienced musician and you just want to play with your friends, it's so easy to pick two or three tracks off of most of their albums, but especially Bleed American, which we do. We get together and we play Praise Chorus and Ble and uh, and The Middle. G-A-D, baby. G-A-D. G-A-D. That's all it is, man. G Maybe that F minor in there occasionally. Uh, that's when it gets really tricky when you throw in an A minor. But uh, yeah, really simple songs to play and uh, just a great band all around. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy World, they're as old as we are, basically. They formed yep. in 1993 in Arizona. They've had the same lineup since 1995, which is awesome. Uh, Jim Adkins, Tom Linton, Zach Lind, uh, Rick Birch. And they have, sorry, I guess I have it here. They have 10 full-length studio albums. 
And uh, do you know the story about how the band got the name, Mike? Because Jimmy Eat World, it's a very strange album, a uh, very strange band name. I don't. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I, I found it, uh, this out this week. Ooh, okay. uh, the band's name came from a crayon drawing that uh, was made after an incident between uh, Tom, the guitar player's younger brother, and Jim, the lead singer, uh, who fought frequently. And uh, Jim usually won. So Ed, who was, I guess, like a draw, a cartoonist or something, uh, drew a picture of Jim shoving the earth into his mouth. And they captioned that piece of artwork, Jimmy Eat World. Love that. And that's how the name of the band came. I had to find that out because it's such a bizarre band name. Great SEO, though. Oh, it is. Great SEO. I mean, <laughs> and then, uh, of course, the acronym Jew, which is, you know, not not used as much. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it, it is funny that it's like Jim as well, like is like the lead singer. So you have, you have a, like a bit of a, a connection there that is like Jimmy. Yes, there is a Jimmy in the band, but like mm-hmm. no one calls him Jimmy. Uh, like you said, Neil, they do have 10 albums. Uh, Jimmy Eat World being their first one, but they don't they don't count that on like anything so they always count like surviving no. as the ninth because they literally hate mm. that album and don't talk about it it's never being <laughs> repressed static prevails is their first album that's how they think of it that's when tom actually did most of the singing and yeah. uh jimmy uh, jim uh ended up switching over and doing most of it on clarity tom has a couple songs on there but that was the last one the rest of it has been almost exclusively uh jim atkins singing after clarity we have bleed american of course futures chase this light invented damage integrity blues and surviving they were so consistent at putting an album out every three years from static mm-hmm. prevails until surviving it has been literally every three years and they broke that trend in 2022 by not putting an album out that's because of covid though so i uh, will probably see a new one in 2024 but yeah they have a great discography they do and they, they put out a new single earlier this year yes. i think it, something it's, loud. Uh, it, yeah, something loud. That's right. And Telepath, too, which came out a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard that one yet. but um, So they're definitely going to come out with some new stuff. Like you said, they, I'm sure COVID slowed them down a little bit. They're pretty busy touring. They're also getting older, obviously. So uh, there is that. I have not heard their first album, Jimmy Eat World. Uh, it's never, not on streaming. Don't, so like they, no. they don't want people to hear it. <laughs> I've heard I've heard bits of Static Prevails, and I'm not a huge yeah. fan of that, that record, to be honest with you. I can get through Clarity. That's, that's uh, about where I like to start, and that's where I think most people end up starting yep. with them. Uh, but have to give a quick uh, Spotify review of Jimmy Eat World really quick. Of course, we got to check out their top four most streamed albums. Number four is Chase This Light. Number three is Futures Deluxe Edition. Number two, Bleed American. And number one, unfairly, is Telepath, which is a single, uh, yeah. which kind of sucks. I hate it when that happens. Um, a good single, but definitely not their best work. Um, I, what, what do you think about that uh, that ranking there, Mike? What would you what, what do you think you would consider to be kind of the four Jimmy World albums to check out? I think what I would do is I put Surviving number one. That's their newest album. You know, you got to okay. put that. Just the newest one is always the one you put first, and then after that, Bleed American for sure. Uh, Futures is definitely their second biggest album in terms of sales and commercial uh, stuff there, and, and Clarity I would say would be the Clarity, Futures, Bleed American. Those are always the those are the big yeah. three for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I agree with what you're saying with the uh, the newest album needs to be on top. Uh, the only reason why I wouldn't put Surviving on the top now is just because it's four years old. I, in my and, mind, and it just came out. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> COVID just completely wiped us three years out of our lives, man. But no, like that's the thing is like you do see new records like slowly start to fall away. It's kind of sad when you see that happen, yeah. actually, because it's like, oh, man, I wanted them to come out with a new banger. But uh, for that reason, I would just maybe not put it in the top four anymore. If this was maybe 2021, 2022, definitely. But I would, I would have a very 
similar list to you with Bleed American Futures and Clarity being one, two, and three. And I would put Chase This Light at number four. Sure. I really like that album. Uh, it's got Big Casino on it yeah. and a couple other songs. Uh, it, it's very easy to listen to. It's uh, from t- 2007, so it's 16 years old at this point, which is crazy. Uh, right when we came out of high school, so there's probably a bit of nostalgia with that for me. Uh, but that's what I would call their their top four to check out. But once they come out with their newest record, uh, I'm sure that that will be in the top four, no doubt. Yes. Um, but Mike, I think that we should jump in now to talking about Bleed American, go through the track listings, go through the recording of it and all the history. Uh, but we have a caller joining the show to talk about the record. Uh, Brian, you mentioned earlier, is uh, waiting on the line. So why don't you introduce him to the show? All right, Neil, joining us today, our first and only guest of the show is friend of the show, Brian. We have not had him on for the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. We only had him on for the GameCube Was Cool podcast many, many times, so I'm sure you guys will be excited to hear his lovely voice again. But Brian, welcome to the show. And our first question to you would be, what is your favorite Jimmy Eat World album of all time? Uh, Well, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me back for once. Um, (laughs) It might have to be this one, Bleed American. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's an all-timer. I mean, there's there's some other ones that are that are good. I mean, I I personally think Surviving is sick, like their new album, yeah, or their latest album, album rather, specifically because of the last song. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. The so six yeah. minutes off anyway was never listened to it, and uh, uh, when I saw them play randomly in Vermont, uh, Burlington, Vermont, for that matter, um, they played this. I, I believe it's it was on their set list for the entire tour, which is insane. And uh, you could definitely tell people were uh, were the, they're like because it's it's a lot of it's instrumental, so it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. just pretty funny because I think if you've never listened to this album, you'd be like. Eh? Like, is this is this all done yet or what? But um, but yeah, I think Bleed, Bleed American, which obviously we're gonna talk about like uh, today, that's 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 an all timer. So um, I think and whatever. Sometimes I'm when I'm whenever I'm bored or like I just know that I'll just put on Bleed American. It's like I feel you know you have like feel good like meals like Bleed American is one of those you can just put on and whole album rips. So. It's a comfort meal. Bleed American is comfort food. <laughs> That, that's why it's comfortable. Most, there we most of the songs are sad. What do you feel like comfort? It <laughs> <laughs> sounds great, though. That's why I'm it's, like, as far as like, it just sounds great. And, yeah. you know, for me, like whenever, yeah, sometimes I just randomly put it on. I'm like, okay, like, well, this slaps. Let's go. And when did you first hear this album? Like maybe a part of the, like why it feels comfortable is because like it takes you back to like, is it middle school or elementary school? Because this song came out when we were like 10. So wh- when do you remember first hearing probably the middle, but the rest of Bleed American? <laughs> I think Ble- the, the entirety of Bleed American, uh, probably when I was older, uh, yeah. this thing came out in 2001, probably, unless you bought the CD or, you know, I don't know how it works with, I didn't know there it was on DreamWorks Records, so I don't know, especially back in the record labels, they would put samplers out, yeah. um, and a lot of times you, you would only hear about band if it was on the radio, um, obviously the middle is iconic, uh, it's just like, even if you don't know a whole lot about Jimmy world like you've probably heard of the middle in passing yes but as far as the entire album goes probably like when i was saying more along was adult honestly but uh the singles yeah i've definitely listened to uh since since i was a kid and um especially back then it was it's a lot different like i mean for here in canada we had much music and then mtv will also you know play some of these these singles uh heavily it was yeah you know feature heavily on radio uh, radio so Unless you were, in my opinion, I mean, it's, I could be wrong. It's also might be a Canadian thing. We don't have access to, you know, American music music stations. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, when when 
when an album like this comes out in 2000, it's like you're only listening to really the singles. And then if you feel it by the album, listening the whole way through, which in Canadian at the time, it probably would have been anywhere between 13 to $15. Like 10 year old meat doesn't have money to ask for my mom to buy it. So uh, it's just, you know, if you're in our age group and around that time, unless you're aggressively looking for this in 2000 when you were a kid, then yeah, you probably listened to the album, uh, the full album, a little bit later down the road. Yeah, and and Neil and I are definitely the same way. We we discovered these songs through uh, through much music for for sure. Through also just being in a lot of movies, and a lot of video games. The it being like I actually remember Sweetness the music video, and I'm not sure about you, Neil, but I remember Sweetness the music video being on repeat on much music a lot. That was on there, and I think the middle music video was also on there. Do we want to talk about much music and how that how that worked <laughs> when you can request songs? Oh yeah, go go for it. Anyone who's not a Canadian listener, yeah, 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 go that's for a it. cool thing. I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how it works in er- everywhere else at that time. Oh, we, we don't know. <laughs> it's too late now to find out. <laughs> you literally have to take your flip phone, and if you have to request a song, you like text to a number what the freaking so you yeah. what the freaking song you want to play or request, and then you better and then like you had like we didn't have you know the keyboards at the time, so. You know, you're like number one had like three letters, and like you had to somehow type up um, <laughs> the, the song name and and request it. I think I think a lot of them were like number, especially like if it was popular, it was like press number one for this song, press number two if you want to request this song or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, there used to be like almost like a voting system. Yep. Uh, for for things to things to like if you want a song to be played uh, specifically on TV and much music, you'd have to like requested by number <laughs> hearing that now almost sounds like to me hearing my grandparents say that they needed to call an operator to get through to someone that they wanted to talk to on the phone <laughs> like like it's so hard explaining to young people like how we had to what we had to do to get music like without buying cds uh like we put we put viruses on our parents computers like we <laughs> copied cds off of friends on itunes like LimeWire, and holding your cell phone up to like the stereo to record awful audio off of your JVC speakers, like texting much music to hear <laughs> Billy Talent song for the for the fifth time that month because like you that was the only way that you could hear that song. Yeah. And now we just have Spotify and you get everything like at a moment's notice. It's it's insane what it has boiled down to. I didn't know you could do that on much music, but I didn't have a phone until after high school. So um there goes that. I mostly got my music basically from I I, I bought iTunes gift cards and I bought songs for 99 cents a song. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I got CDs from the library or Mike and I we traded a lot of CDs and we would go over to each other's houses with USB keys and, and got songs that way. And that might be how I got, I, that's how I got a lot of like Weezer and the Wonder Years and Green Day and, uh, and Jimmy Eat World too, I think. It, it sounds a little bit pathetic now. It, oh, it sounds very <laughs> pathetic now. <laughs> we, we have a lot better now. Uh, yes. I, I, I wouldn't trade it for like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the nostalgic thing like, oh, I wish I could like text much music and play <laughs> yeah, a song you, again. Like, don't you never, want to go back to that? I want, want that ever. But, <laughs> no, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just funny. Like this, I I didn't I didn't even plan those. I was just like, oh yeah, like, this is what we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like especially at the time, like we didn't have money, so it was like I think you have to also pay for the text. Uh, they had to warn you that the the rate they apply. <laughs> yes, because yeah. um, uh, certain texts, uh, uh, your plan probably covers it now, but like way back in the day, uh, you had to pay like fifty cents a text, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> of texting wasn't wasn't normal. <laughs> Um, it was strictly only made for phone calls. You like Nokia didn't make a phone for you to request Jimmy Eat World and on much music. So it, it's just a very different time. It's just, uh, but yeah, I was a Frostwire guy. 
I wasn't aligned. Mm, okay. uh, but it was it's just it's, it's the same thing. I, I I never I never had to uh, I never had the uh, lucky chance of uh, let's say downloading a song that I realized wasn't the song that I wanted. Really, you never had that. Interesting. Wait, wait, nice, nice. <laughs> you know, you realize you might find some. I've heard some people like at school ask me like, dude, like I try I tried looking for like the middle, for example, and like I got this random suggested film that I wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> or you're like Mike, where every song is by Green Day. Yeah, I had that a lot. Like, well, you'd always get uh, Stacy's Mom by Bowling for Soup, which was yeah. wrong. Uh, there's so many. I remember all like the the Pink Floyd stuff was always just like completely wrong titles and stuff. That LimeWire, FrostWire, what what a time. Uh, we we could sit here and 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 show how old we are for another another hour. But uh, let's let's get into to the album at hand today. Let's get into Bleed American. I do want to talk a little bit before we get into the track listing though is about the recording and production of this album. So of course Clarity was uh, released before this album in 1999. And the band was not doing well financially. They actually lost a ton of money after Clarity did not do well. Critically, it was acclaimed, but it did not do well commercially. So Capitol Records actually dropped them uh, after Clarity. And uh, they basically had to, the, the band members had to take up all these odd jobs. They had to go back on tour in Europe. They, they sold a bunch of their equipment. They would rent out some of their stuff as well to just kind of make ends meet. And eventually they were able to kind of make a little nest egg, make enough money to produce and create this album which became bleed american they even got uh, the producer mark mark trombino who who worked on their other albums he worked for free uh, mm-hmm. while uh with the arrangement that he would be paid once the album was on shelves which is always a risky thing good for mark because no way i would do that <laughs> um and and it was really on and off the recording the entire time they were getting delayed they finally did end up releasing it as a bleed american did have to of course change the name uh, to just Jimmy Eat World made a self-titled album because of September 11th. Uh, they thought Bleed American was probably a little, little not great. Uh, sale for to, to try and drive sales when uh, uh, just three months later the September 11th tax happened. So they decided to just call it uh, a Jimmy Eat World. They changed Bleed American the title track to Salt Sweat Sugar, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, that was it. And uh, so in the U.S., it's funny that it's not called Bleed American. Uh, in Canada, it still was. That's We we were able to get it as, uh, as Bleed American. They did change it back, though, in 2008. They re-released it uh, to become Bleed American once again. Yeah, they didn't want people to go into it thinking that it's like a very pro-USA album, which it's not. Like, it, it, they didn't want it to be kind of misconstrued. C- yeah. Misconstrued. Because a lot of movies, TV shows, and albums in 2001, 2002 were very much... Uh, patriotic. Patriotic USA. We, we think back to, uh, of course, the Creed halftime show <laughs> at the, uh, was it, the Dallas Cowboys football game or whatever that mm-hmm. year. The the, soup, the Thanksgiving Super Bowl, basically. So, yeah, they, want, they didn't want to get mixed in with all of that. So, they did have to... They had to make that decision very quickly quickly too i think yeah. everything basically kind of overnight got flipped and changed they had to change like mike said the name of the album the name of their title track and everything um so just just a lot went into making this record all of the on and off recordings um they even put out several demos uh during the clarity tour of songs that would later appear on 
Bleed American, uh, specifically Sweetness, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. That song basically saved the band for a while. People were buying that demo and that kind of kept them going for a while. Yeah. And then when they finally put the song out later, people were pretty unhappy just because of how different it sounded. And they changed the sound of a lot of their songs that they put out on demos and then eventually on Bleed American. Um, so that that stuff is really interesting. I'm a big fan of the album artwork too that they that they went with. It's a, uh, a close-up image of a William Eagleston's photograph titled Memphis. And it's just a bunch of bowling trophies on a cigarette machine. It's a really iconic uh, album cover. Yeah. For a while, I thought it, because I only ever saw this album on my little iPod Nano, I thought it was like a like a zoomed in shot of like their high school, like a, like a trophy cabinet uh, in a high yeah. school. I didn't know that they were bowling trophies for the longest time. So uh, yeah, I thought that was a little fun fact in researching for this episode. Yeah, I, I didn't know they were bowling trophies either until literally just now. So did you know this, Brian? <laughs> No, I, <laughs> uh, I will admit I did not do hardcore research on this. Uh, there you go. To know that there were bowling trophies. I thought there were football trophies, honestly. Me too. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah what me I too. thought too. But like looking at this picture closely, yeah, it's just a bunch, bunch, bunch of bowling, bowling trophies, trophies uh, yeah. which is, it's an iconic cover. I love mm-hmm. that light blue, that light blue, uh, something as soon as I see that particular shade, I do think of uh, Bleed American. And uh, speaking of Bleed American, that was the first song, first single also off of this record. It is probably one of the best opening songs in history. easily one of the best opening tracks on an album it's 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 such a hard song like it's this is probably where they get that metal uh genre for some reason brian this album is considered like emo skate punk pop punk and metal uh, <laughs> i think wikipedia, that yeah. on wikipedia yeah that's what it's considered so i think that this is the song that gets them that ranking Th- this song is aged terrifically it's still heavy it still holds up the lyrics sadly have aged very well it's basically about just being a young adult and being uh, completely jaded towards the modern world, basically, it's uh, yeah, we can still relate to that, millennials and Gen Zs. So even in nineteen or even in two thousand one, uh, Jimmy Eat World were feeling the same things. Uh, it's just like talking about not feeling alone because you got the TV and taking the right pills and everything like that, and drinking whiskey or scotch or whatever it is. It's a really dark song. It's such a dark song. I, I so I also didn't really know the lyrics that well because I just thought mm. it was saying salt sweat shooter on the asphalt that's what <laughs> i always thought the uh the words were but uh, i i stand corrected brian what do you think about bleed american this first track i thought it would set the tone as how heavy the full album would be <laughs> nope um but i mean it is an amazing opener it, it, it just blasts you right from the first note it's it's got that heaviness that um it doesn't it doesn't it's not as heavy like throughout the whole record but it's just one of those songs that i feel like it sets the tone from the whole record despite the fact that it's not everything is as heavy and i mean maybe it might also have uh a, a, like it's closer to maybe some of their previous work and but mm-hmm. it's it's got like great melodies it's got a it's got a killer chorus <laughs> the like like the intro is just and and even the bridge the bridge is incredible um just mm-hmm. with the lead guitar and everything uh yeah going and in, going into it so it's a, it's such a actually just thinking about it now it's probably one of the best like opening tracks you could ever have on a record it really is like it's so iconic and like you said definitely defines what the record's going to be just in terms of of lyrics as well uh and 
when I was researching this, so they specifically wrote Bleed American and wanted it to be the first track on the album to be a counterpoint to Clarity. Uh, most of this album was very much a, a reaction to Clarity and its uh, commercial fail- failure, and they wanted to make some money. <laughs> they were like, okay, we can't be living in our vans anymore. Like, We need to like make some money off of this. And so it was very much written as a counterpoint to it. Uh, Clarity, of course, starts off super softly with um, Tables for Glasses, I think uh, the song is. And yeah. and it's it's a slow intro, and it's a great song, great like first three tracks, but definitely does not have that kick like Bleed American does, and Jim Atkins wanted this to really kick you hard in the teeth, and th- that's why it almost seems bombastic the way they start this. Like it almost seems almost melodramatic, like how big this uh, this album starts and kind of just goes into a praise chorus, which is more of a, a more standard rock song. But uh, I I love that it starts like this. Yeah, it's perfect. And it, it almost is like self or false advertising for the record because like nothing else on the album sounds like this. Maybe the like the middle is obviously pretty headbangy. Uh, I mean, a praise chorus is not bad. It just gets kind of lighter and lighter and lighter as the album goes. Actually. Get it faster as we're going to get to yeah, is, is going to break down in it. I suppose that's true. Yeah, that, that song does kind of pick it up. That's like the what the second last al- song on the album or something, though, I think. I think what what happened was like with you're right with clarity and um, the uh, static prevails like th- those albums are pretty like pretty slow like they're pretty mopey for the most part. There's a few uh, bigger songs on clarity that kind of get a little bit heavier, but this is definitely anti that. Um, and you got to think about what was big on the radio in the late '90s, early 2000s too. It was a lot of Creed, a lot of Limp <laughs> Biscuit, like it was a lot of heavier rock stuff, and they probably needed to match that. And sadly, like this album does get compared a lot to Weezer. Uh, Jimmy Eat World and Weezer do kind of get compared to a lot. And there are some songs later on in this album that I would tend to agree with. Um, but they were definitely trying to separate themselves from what they had previously sounded like because they had to. They were dropped from their previous record label for basically being forgotten. So they needed to do something to really stand out yeah. uh, with their new uh, with their new label. Yep. No, Exactly. And we'll move on to a praise chorus. Brian, what are your thoughts on the second song of the album? Praise chorus is like probably like a little bit more of a standard standard song. Yes. Uh, for what I remember. Um, so, yeah, it's just funny that it actually does bleed in a uh, bleed. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> it does like, you know, go from, from bleed American music to go into this. It's a pretty good transition, it is. Uh, honestly. From what I remember, it has more, some of the more standard like, melodies and, and, um, like song structure yep. we'll you know listen to as we go further on the record so it sets the table for that too mm-hmm. um I, I i think yeah like just you go from a, something heavy to something a little, little more like dare i say like jimmy e. will standard yes uh for this record anyways uh and you'll still hear this this kind of stuff yeah, further along in their records but uh yeah but i think that's probably the most the thing that sticks out to me for our pre-scores I mean, Praise Chorus is, uh, like you said, great transition. I love how it starts there. And you are right. It is a simple song. Uh, I played the song many, many times. <laughs> Most of a Praise Chorus is A to F sharp. Uh, and then it goes uh, in the actual chorus when they're singing Crimson and Clover. Uh, that's A, E minor, F sharp. So, ooh, big, uh, <laughs> big change there. Uh, the, the one thing for me that sticks out for the Praise Chorus uh, is is not necessarily uh, the, the, the musicality of it, but it's the lyrics because most of the lyrics in here are referencing other songs. And it's basically just Jim saying that he's nostalgic for these other songs and other bands. 
Yeah, they got they got a it's the crimson and clover part of the song, which is really cool. It's uh, that's when Jim and Tom do like kind of their overlay melodies that I think Brian was referencing there. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool chorus, and I had no idea that this was. Re- I knew it was referencing other songs. I had no idea there were seven songs in total that I think that they're referencing in total. You've got madness with our house, the promise ring with with why did we ever meet, bad company with rock and roll fantasy, uh, they might be giants with don't let's start, the promise ring with all of my everything's, Motley Crue's kickstart my heart, and Tommy James and the Shondells with Crimson and Clover. Um, it's such a cool way to tie all of these songs together to be nostalgic, but also not be like, it's not super like beat yourself over the head with it. Like it, it's subtle, but it's, it's also insanely catchy. Like it just works so well. All of those songs put together over those simple chords that you mentioned before, Mike, I, I love this song. It's such a cool second track. It's also the fourth single on the album. It might actually be the last one. I don't think this album had more than four. A really good second track, though. I love Praise Chorus. Praise Chorus is key. Love it. It's it's a great track. It also features Davey Bolin from The Promise Ring, which he re- references his own song in there uh, in the chorus. He's, he is the one singing the chorus, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then we, of course, go to the third track, which is the number one song that Jimmy World has ever put out, the their blessing and their curse, The Middle. <laughs> Yeah, everybody knows the middle. Uh, that's like the that's the song. If you and don't like, like, what are you doing? I can't imagine. I don't think I, I'm. I'm sure that like kids nowadays don't know what her parents like. But like, if you're like an, a millennial kid, you know the middle. That's kind of like our generation's anthem almost. It's uh, it's actually the first big pop punk song to be released and hit the mainstream after 9/11, which is interesting. It basically hit the charts two months after. Mm. Um, it hit number five on the U.S. Billboard Top 100 in 2002. It reached top 50 in Australia, Ireland, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom, and it was the most played song in Canada on the radio in 2002. So I don't know how you could be a kid in Canada and not know this song. What about you, Brian? What are are your thoughts on the middle that that I'm sure... There's the standard things you can say about it, but uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, this is your de facto radio single, no? That's just the chorus is is easy to get into, especially at the time. I mean, you you mean now you put the song now? It's you know if you still listen to you know typical radio, yeah, it's just it's just something that's, that's catchy. Uh, it, it's 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 got a really it's it's really simple. Uh, it's yeah. a really simple. Uh, chorus and, yep. and it, but it's very easy for for pretty much anyone to get into whether you're a jimmy world fan or not and my guess is uh in most cases at the time in 2000 you weren't probably weren't a jimmy world fan at the time before listening to this and this is a great song that it's uh like i would call it a little bit more radio friendly but it it does it does lend itself well it's like i said it's still catchy i think it still holds up today and uh for anyone who's Never listen to Jimmy World. It's a pretty good gateway song. It is definitely the gateway song. That's a great. Uh, <laughs> that's a, 
a great word for it. A middle is like, I mean, it's it basically created their career. Like they probably wouldn't have sweetness. Definitely, like you said, Neil, the sweetness demo helped them along, but the middle uh, allowed them to really just experiment and do whatever they wanted. Like like the middle, I'm sure, pays their salaries. Yes. Like, today, like, <laughs> yeah. like like you said, it, it was the most played song on the radio in Canada in 2002. It is still played on the radio all the time. My mom listens to the radio. I will hear it on 98.1 CHFI here in Toronto. It's really funny to hear that song on a on a you know basic kind of radio station in in Canada. It's it's absolutely crazy, and it's also appeared in tons of things for video games and movies. But the video games that's appeared in are NCAA March Madness 2005 Rock. Rock Band 2, Guitar Hero, World Tour, Rock Band Unplugged, Rock Band 4, Beatstar, to name a few. It's uh, been everywhere. It's a hugely popular song. And the guitar solo. Also, this was a fun one that I learned. The guitar solo is inspired by I Am A Tree, which is by Guided By Voices, a band which is very much a band's band, just like how Jimmy Eat World is very much a band's uh, band. And um, Jimmy Eat World did a cover of Game of Pricks by Guided By Voices uh, for the extended version of this album, which is kind of cool. So yeah, Jim Atkins was like, yeah, I kind of just ripped the song, the, the guitar solo off of I Am A Tree. Yeah, the whole song is meant to be, it was mixed and kind of recorded and designed to be kind of like an homage to the 80s. Like it does have, it's meant to be reminiscent of like the cars kind of stuff. And uh, even the guitar solo, like not a lot of Jimmy Eat World songs contain guitar solos. Most of their songs are just either basic power chords or that kind of twinkly kind of just Midwest emo style uh, song. So it's really cool that they did a really difficult guitar solo too. Like the song itself is pretty simple. I think the song is literally just three chords, three or four chords over and over again. But that guitar solo is really hard. It's a lot of hammer-ons and pull-offs. I remember trying to learn it in high school and it's very difficult to do. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Again, probably one of those, one of the reasons why they get that metal. Uh, You know, it's too heavy. The middle is just far too too heavy heavy for uh, for our parents to take. But (laughs) but, like if if you say to somebody, you know, I like Jimmy Eat World, you know, they're like, oh, who's that? And if you just start going, it just takes some time and little girl, you're in the middle of the Like I actually never knew he was saying the middle until I learned what that song's name was. (laughs) That's a true story. I just thought he was like, oh, to take some time of the ride. You thought he was just ebbing, through the song. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I knew that either until in high school, because uh, I was in a band in high school, and we played Battle of the Bands in grade eleven in front of the whole school, and uh, we played Island in the Sun, we played 1985, all the small things, and we played the middle, uh, we, and that's basically when I learned the lyrics, I guess, when I was maybe 15 or 16 years old. actually a really great song lyrically and it's very self uh self-reflective it's basically them singing about their um their disenchantment with their label capital records uh being with them for two albums that weren't selling well they were kind of like the uh, the forgotten stepchild of that basically that uh that team of uh artists that that record label had uh that's where a lot of those lines like don't write yourself off yet uh when you're feeling left out or looked down on like they're basically trying to perk themselves up and trying to give themselves like a pat on the back like you know we're, we're doing okay we're doing our hardest like don't 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 count yourself out yet kind of thing so yeah uh, it's a really neat song and it basically became like i said before a lot of people's anthems for like when they're having a bad day like this is one of those songs that you listen to and it's impossible not to you know not rock your head a little bit while you're listening to it and you want to listen to it again and again i've probably heard this song thousands of times in my life and i, I still it still doesn't get old for me 
And they play it still at all their shows. And yep. uh, and it's funny because you might have had the same reaction, Brian, when you saw them in Vermont. But it is funny to watch see a Jimmy Eat World concert and then you see very clearly the people who are there just for the middle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, like, I'm, I'm there for it, too. You know, even though I've listened to all this other stuff, I'm like, oh, you want to? I've never seen a live. I'm like, please yeah. play the middle for, you know, the billionth time, you know? Um, I'm actually surprised they still play it. Uh, after all these years, it's like, can you imagine playing the same song 20 years in a row and hopefully yeah. not get sick of it? I don't, I don't know if it's happened to feel like they're obligated to play it or not. So I, I, I was also kind of thinking that way, and I was watching a bunch of uh, kind of shorts and, and, and listening to some podcasts with Jim Atkins. He's luckily, luckily for us, Jim Atkins is a big podcaster, and he's he hosts his own podcast, and he's also a guest on a lot of podcasts. So there is a lot of, of content out there featuring him talking about Jimmy Eat World, and of course there's content of him talking about the middle. He says he, he did definitely go through like a time of, of not really, obviously like, being kind of sick of it but he said it was for the most part honestly loves playing it because like that's what reminds him of of when they were down and out and that they they got big and they were able to like afford things they were able to kind of get out of their hole and so it's such a happy song because of that because it's associated with such good memories and uh i think it just and, and not just thing i know it's a fun song to play so uh, i think he's he's pretty happy playing it. it it i'm sure yeah it does get he does get sick of it a little bit but I mean, the crowd does get and for it, right? Yes, like, just, yeah. you, it's funny when you. I, I, I can't remember the whole set list. But I, I remember they were playing some other stuff, and the, you know, at the time, this was this sort of a year ago, so twenty twenty two, and they lost some years because of COVID. So surviving, they hadn't played a lot of stuff off surviving. You can definitely tell uh, when after they played a, a couple other all those songs, and then they're like, "Oh, here's the middle," and then <laughs> absolutely like. It's it, yeah. Everyone goes into a frenzy. It's cool to see actually. Yeah. And it's cool to see that you know, twenty something years later, people are still very into the song. Mm-hmm. They choose to where to put the middle in the set list depending on how well the crowd is responding to the new songs. <laughs> Maybe it's their fail safe. Yeah, it is. Like, uh, you, you know how you have a safe word sometimes. Maybe this is their safe word. Yeah. Maybe. Ooh. Yeah. Let's just do it now. We're, we're losing. We're losing it a little bit. Yeah, people don't want. People don't want to listen to the congratulations. Freaking. <laughs> Screw those people, man. Congratulations <laughs> is too good a song. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure musically they're tired of the song, definitely. But it's like the audience reaction has to be pretty novel regardless of like it would get thousands of people jumping around and having a good time. So that, that's that got to be fun for them. And I really don't like that when artists are like, no, we're tired of that song that everybody loves and wants to hear. Like we're not going to play. It's like just suck it up for three minutes or make it like a little <laughs> bit different. Like I, yeah. when we saw it last year, it wasn't exactly the way it sounds on, re- on the record. Uh, I think they changed it a little bit. The solo sounded a little bit different too. So there are things that you can do to make it a little bit more exciting, but yeah. It's not even a three minute song. It's no. It's 2.46. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I accidentally realized it was that sort of a song. All killer, no filler, man. <laughs> but moving on to the next track on the album here, track number four, which is Your House, which is kind of the first acoustic song on the album. Uh, it's pretty upbeat, actually. Um, gotta say, this is probably my least favorite song on the album. I have never been a big fan of Your House. Mike knows this. We've heard other versions. They have a, in their deluxe edition, they have a, a better version of Your House. Yes. But this song gets so repetitive and it's just so cheesy for me. I don't know. There's just like, it's hard to imagine that someone, I think, I guess they were in their early 20s when this album was written. It just sounds like something that like a 13-year-old wrote. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's not the best song. I definitely like 2007, uh, Your House 2007 way more. It just, yep. they, they changed the, the the rhythm of it. I'm like, oh, this is what it should have been. I'm not sure. Maybe there was like something like a fight within the band about what this song should be, or I'm not sure uh, the, the backstory on this uh, fully. Uh, Jim has not talked about this on at length on podcasts, so I, I didn't <laughs> hear him talk about Your House. It was not in his top five Jimmy Eat World songs, though, so I'll give you that. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, this one is uh, If You Still care at all that's yeah. uh, it's that chorus brian you rip my heart right out you rip my heart it's a lot of you rip my heart right out that's all pretty much the whole song yeah i'm i have the lyric sheet this is how i'm trying to remember all these now um, <laughs> very uh there's not a wide vocabulary in this <laughs> it's very very repetitive i think that's the one thing is you go from the middle which really to let's be let's be honest like a lot of it is quite repetitive mm-hmm. it's just good and then you have the other two songs uh, earlier that feel one one is like like a great intro and then it ble- and goes into a, I want to say bleed again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing those purpose issues. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, like it, it's just that like I think typically for a band that's kicked off the album, you know, throwing people off balance and then to go from the middle to to that, I think the song's okay. It's I don't hate it, but at the same time. Um, you know, I, I I get what you guys are saying. It's just you, you go from the middle to this, and you're like, Meh. they repeat. If you still care, want to request at all. this on much music? That's all. I'm gonna say. No, definitely don't. <laughs> definitely don't do that. They do at the end of the song, like they they uh, repeat. If you love me at all, fourteen times. Wow, I'm reading the lyric sheet right now. And that's it, over and over and over again. I will say, though, like, the acoustic guitars in this song, there's probably, like, three of them playing at once. Like, the sea of acoustic guitars being played is really cool. Like, musically, the song is neat. It's just lyrically, it's a pain to listen to for me. It is. And and let's move on, then, to the other banger, the other big banger on, yeah. this, uh, on this album that I'd say most people know. If you know the middle, you probably also have heard this song. If you're listening, whoa, 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 whoa. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's my, that's my spoken word. Nice. Sweetness, which is a great anthem, a great anthem to to listen to, also uh, in um, at, at a show for sure. I'm sure they love playing this, and you hear this at stadiums all the time. I still hear it. I went to the uh, Leafs game uh, last year, and I heard Sweetness uh, early in, and uh, the crowd going "Whoa" was really mm-hmm. cool to actually be like, "Wow, yeah!" Like people still really know this song. It of course appears in NHL 2003, like I said earlier on in the show, and it also appears in Rock Band 2 and Beat Star. Uh, this song, like Neil said, was actually on the Clarity Deluxe reissue or the Deluxe of release, and also was uh, was created before. Uh, bleed american there was an idea at one point to have this song in clarity i actually really really like the clarity version of it uh it uses uh it's it's way more stripped down it uses a piano as well in there uh it, but they're 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 both great in in different ways
I, I think for one, this is like basically your anthem song, like your de- like the song, the band's defining like anthem, you know, stadium song, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I still I, I still hear it in in arenas from time to time. It's uh, um, they have a knack for making having simple lyrics, but also having you know really good songs that come out of it. Uh, the one thing I will say is that it is kind of a little on the heavier side after it, they do like the whoa, like like they like it it, it does get pretty <laughs> like the guitars are pretty heavy on yeah. that honestly, um, which is kind of cool, you know. So. Um, but yeah, obviously, like very catchy. This still holds up. Like honestly, it's still like arena anthem, mm-hmm. anthem kind of song. Sometimes when you're a rock band, you kind of have to have one, right? So this is this is theirs. Yeah, it's the ultimate like call and response kind of song too. Like it's the easiest song to just get the whole audience to do the whoa 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 whoa's part, and that's and that's what ends up happening. Honestly, it's a really cool song, and like you said, Brian, like there's nothing super complicated about the song. Like it's just it's a really basic, powerful song. Great, like kind of. Uh, I like the verse how it's very clean, and then it uh, just transitions instantly to the heavy distorted downstrokes. It's really cool. There's no solos in the song really. There's no time changes. It's just a really catchy call and response audience song. Mike, you mentioned the history behind the song. It's really cool how this song was written and kind of kept the band alive during their Clarity Tour uh, days with the demo. And I've heard Jim talk about in uh, in interviews, he was talking about, I think they called it demo-itis or something like that. And I've experienced this before too, is when a band puts out a demo and the, and the audience really loves it. And then they record it for the album, which in this case was Bleed American. And then the audience that fell in love with the demo doesn't like the album version yeah. and it's like why don't you guys just do it like the like the demo and i've had that happen to me before it happened with uh with spanish love songs when they put out uh i think it was losers or one of the songs off of uh routine pain mm-hmm. and i they put out a demo like a year or two before that album came out and then they they re-released or they re-recorded it and i didn't like it as much so that's happened to me before i totally get where those fans were coming from uh, yeah. But I never, I didn't, we didn't grow up in the 1999 era of Jimmy Eat World. We mostly just know the Bleed American version. And this is one of the first songs that I definitely listened to the most from Jimmy Eat World after the middle. It, it's definitely the band's probably their second most famous songs. And I heard it on Big Shiny Tune 7, if you guys remember those albums, uh, on oh, the yeah. mix with, I think River Below is on there too. The seventh one was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> big shiny tunes uh love big shiny tunes uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a canadian thing if, if i think so yeah, yeah like i mean at the time too like compilation albums of that kind of thing they're like sam- they're like glorified samplers right it's just yeah. promoting you know big tracks or tracks that whoever makes these decisions uh <laughs> feels good about and then promotes all these artists and they probably like much music probably re- like you know got paid a lot of money to do it that's less of a thing nowadays to have uh, samplers like that. We call them playlists now. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say it's a lot. It's a lot like your release radar uh, that you get every Monday on Spotify. That's really kind of what Big Shiny Tunes was. Except yeah. Big Shiny Tunes was once a year, whereas your release radar is once a week. Yeah, um, it's kind of what it was and what it what it is now. It's it's really cool. Those were really cool mixes though. We used to get those in our stockings at Christmas or whatever, and it was a good way to find new music. Like that's how I discovered a lot of bands that I later fell in love with, like Billy Talent and Simple Plan were on there and Sum 41 and even Nickelback. A lot of Canadian bands on there. A lot of good kids. Yeah, shout out to Nickelback. Shout out to Nickelback indeed. <laughs> but uh, the next song, which is not a Nickelback cover, if you can believe mm. it, is uh, Hear You Me, which is uh, definitely the ballad 
on uh on bleed american it's definitely the slowest song on here and uh definitely a sad song too uh, a song that neil and i always thought was about jim's mom and it turns out we were wrong we learned this on the weezer blue album episode that the uh, song is actually about uh michael and carly who were the two women who were behind the weezer fan base uh, and the fan site and uh and everything uh back in the 90s and they actually died suddenly in a car accident a couple of years before this um this album came out and of course there was a uh a tribute concert that was organized to help with the funeral costs and everything a uh, bunch of bands played of course weezer was there uh this happened in 1997 the concert was turned into a cd simply titled hear you me and uh, Hear You Me was apparently a phrase that they said a lot on the Weezer kind of forums uh, in the 90s. Uh, just kind of one of their, their uh, ways of identifying themselves, I guess. But Hear You Me became that, that almost rallying cry. And of course, they used it for the title of the song uh, to honor uh, Michael and Carly. I got to say, I looked into that concert a little bit, the CD. I didn't recognize a lot of the bands on there. I felt really bad. I don't know. I guess they were like a lot of support bands. Maybe they're bigger than I think. Um, maybe you know them. You guys know them better. But Rachel Hayden is featured on the uh, Jimmy World song, Here You Me. She's the female vocalist in the song and the bassist from the song That Dog. Uh, I can't say I know that band super well. I want to check them out now, though, because I do like this song quite a bit. Would you think of me now? So lucky, so strong, so proud I never said thank you for that Now I never have a chance May angels lead you there's definitely a Mandela effect for this song just because like, I, I don't know if this was just a Mike and Neil thing, but we definitely thought for the longest time that it was about uh, Jim's mom, uh, Jim's mom's death, but it was about the, uh, the Weezer leader of the fan base girls dying in the Pinkerton tour. But I love this song. It's so cool. I like the chords. It's, it's a very simple song to play on acoustic guitar. It's definitely one of those campfire songs that you'd learn how to play in high school when you first get your acoustic guitar and a capo. Um, <laughs> and it's been uh, featured in multiple movies and TV shows that were big in the 2000s. One Tree Hill, Cinderella Story, The Butterfly Effect. Um, and it's just a, a really fun song. I like to think that this song was definitely, has definitely been played at lots of weddings because they don't know what the song is about. Like as a slow song, this song <laughs> has definitely appeared where it shouldn't have. It's like, it's like an uh, every breath you take kind of thing at weddings. <laughs> yep. I can see this definitely being like a first dance song at a wedding and just like being there like, ooh, no. <laughs> For one, I didn't know it was in One Tree Hill, but of course that it's on One Tree Hill. Though. Of course it was. Sense. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, but I mean, I mean, I love this song specifically. Like, I know it's, I, I, for one, just gravitate to sad songs anyways. I, I find them more, um, what's the word? Is it visceral? It's just like, you, you, you can feel, you can feel the emotion of the song, especially the lyrics and, and, you know, combined with there, there's some, there's some piano in there. And, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, uh, it's probably like the first song that you hear in this album that's just very you know not probably it is it's it's one of the you know slower ones it's it's definitely definitely it's almost like definitely take a break from all the arenas type of stuff <laughs> you know the catchy <laughs> chorus stuff and yeah. you know it, it takes a little bit of a break i like the track placement of this uh for one mm -hmm. because of that um you know just just being the first one to where you get to you know almost you get to let the album breathe a little bit it's a it's a common practice in in, in records to do that but uh, i think it works really well here yeah, that's you nailed it. This this song lets the album breathe. Absolutely. 
it splits the album perfectly in two. Basically, this is the middle track, and uh, yeah, this is the middle. It's the middle of the middle <laughs> album. That's right. It, <laughs> it, 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 it does the like divide the album perfectly, in my yeah. opinion. Um, it, we've and it, the album does have a definite middle for me. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like that the first. <laughs> sorry, Br- Brian keeps on saying bleed. I keep on saying middle. Uh, Mike, you're gonna get one too pretty soon. I swear okay, to God. Um, but I feel like that the second half of this record, for me at least, like it's very front heavy. Like yes. the first six tracks. You know them, you've heard them on in stadiums and in movies, and then the next five songs that we're going to talk about, it's going to be quick, because these songs <laughs> yeah. were not played on the radio, they did not get music videos, which we haven't even really talked about the music videos at all yet, we'll loop back to that a little bit later. Uh, but the seventh track on the album is If You Don't, Don't, which is, I, I really like this song actually, very catchy, uh, it kind of feels like that sad summer song, uh, nothing overly complicated about it, which m- most songs on this album are not. Uh, what I like about this song is that it was actually supposed to be a lot faster, uh, if you hear some of the demos... Yeah. Yes. and uh, early work of this song. It was meant to be a more frantic and quick song, kind of inspired by like British pop bands of the 80s. Yeah, the uh, the drum uh, on, on one of the demos of this, the, the drumming on this is very, very different. Uh, almost almost going to like a bit of a punk beat on, uh, on the, the original version of it, and they slowed it down a little bit, which makes sense because a punk beat after Hear You Me bit weird yeah. a little bit <laughs> uh, feels a bit disrespectful almost <laughs> so uh so i'm i i i think they probably made the right choice especially with the sequencing of this record uh you're absolutely right this is a top heavy record for sure uh if you don't don't uh coming in there and being uh just a, a, a very solid song it, it does it does everything fine it's it's honestly it's just a good i don't want to call it a filler because it's not it's a good song in its mm-hmm. own right but it's just like a, a really good filler Yeah, it, it kind of feels like one of those like songs that you'd hear, like I said before, like at the end of a summer day, like that drive home from the beach kind of song. Yeah. Like it's got that sort of fade in. Uh, I don't even know what instrument that is. I guess it's like a keyboard. What's um, wrong, baby? baby? If you don't, don't know, why just say so. Like it's got a really catchy chorus and everything like that. It's a very enjoyable song. It just doesn't have the same hook as like uh, Praise Chorus or The Middle Hat in the early part of the record. But what about you, Brian? Do you have any anything uh, anything cool to say about the If You Don't, Don't? Well, now I almost kind of want to listen to the faster, like faster version. Mm, we'll right? Wouldn't yep. that be crazy? You go from such a slow. I mean, people like bands have done that, and it's you kind of like you gotta get that jolt. And we've talked about how Blue American gives you that jolt right from the beginning. I just think it'd be interesting to to just do it for fun. Like I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know yeah. how that would how that would make the album sound uh, as a whole. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, now I'm interested. Now I, I, I kind of want to listen to it. Speaking of jolt, uh, the next song, although it, it takes a while to get into it, it's got some jolty moments. It's a it's a great banger of a song. Get it faster. Uh, it's it takes about a minute twenty to actually start the song, or at least for Jim to start singing. Uh, it's a very slow bit of um, uh, uh, putting some distortion, some effects on their guitars, uh, and and it, it slowly goes up in volume, and then uh, Jim starts singing, and they get really into it, very heavy, heavy downstroke song, and mm, the bridge is, I think, what makes this, uh, this song stand apart. A bit of a, a dueling guitar solo yeah. going on that is really heavy, probably one of the closest things 
to congratulations before we got congratulations. I was going to say the exact same thing. The bridge in this song is what you're waiting for, honestly. It, it is a long time to get to it, uh, the bridge, I mean. Uh, the chorus is pretty cool, but I remember the first time I heard the song, I think I thought I thought my Walkman was busted or whatever. Like, it was just yeah. because, like, it's so quiet. He's kind of, like, mumble singing almost. Like, it's, and he's like, it's like, what's he saying? Like, what's he saying? You know, you're listening to it. And then it's just like, ah. And then it's just like a really loud, I'm getting out. No, nothing ever shames me. Not, like, it's a really angry chorus. Mm-hmm. And then an even angrier bridge which is just an awesome dual guitar kind of a lot of palm mutes and and bends and everything it's a really cool chorus bridge that they got in there um it's just the verses in this song it's like what i can't understand a thing he's talking about uh it's a cool song i really like it on the album but you it is kind of like uh, congratulations part one uh that they eventually perfected uh, 15 years later <laughs> on uh, on surviving Yeah, I, I think we talk about just the bridge portions for almost every song yeah. so far. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've heard from other people and from other bands that uh, for them, writing a bridge is so difficult. And as someone who's never written a song, uh, it's hard for me to 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 really grasp that. Yeah. But just the fact that we're talking so much about these bridges and like, you know, they do do the throwing in cool guitar solos and stuff like that um mm-hmm. that that are still very memorable and it's just i just find it funny that some people are like hey like it's really difficult to write bridge like a, a bridge uh on a, on a song and i feel like jimmy world just nails it <laughs> it's it's just it's just pretty funny obviously they're very talented and mm-hmm. stuff like that but it's just it's just cool to see that um something that some musicians find very difficult they're they're very good at yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. Uh, thanks for that, Brian. Because yeah, you're you're 100 right. Like like bridges are are always a tough thing because you don't usually start you don't start a song knowing the bridge, right? No. I think that's the difficult part of it, right? You start a song writing a song by knowing the chorus or at least the lead in the intro to it. The bridge is usually what comes last, or or oftentimes when you have songwriting partnerships, the bridge is, is from someone else. Someone else brings in a snippet of a song that they have and like, you know what? I don't really know where to fit this. Like maybe it's the same chords and yeah, absolutely right. They, they kill it with their bridges throughout this album and throughout other albums too. And I also want to say, get it faster. Although this is a great version of it. I particularly prefer the version that is on the, uh, the expanded edition, the deluxe uh, version, which is a bit faster, a bit heavier and a little less produced. Sounds a bit more raw. Uh, I really like that version. Uh, Jim is screaming a lot more in it too. Uh, uh, closer to the metal that, that Neil was talking about. <laughs> That's where they get it. Yeah. This song is cool. I like all the versions of it. I can't, I can't picture the, uh, the deluxe version as well. Cause I've heard the regular version so much. It's true. Yeah. Uh, that that's the one that my brain just goes to, but uh, the album softens up quite a bit after Get It Faster to Cautioners, which uh, sounds like something straight off of Clarity. It's that Midwest twinkle kind of sound to it. Sounds like something by American Football or something, uh, something along those lines. Uh, sounds a bit like an intermission song. Uh, really heavy bass in this one. Uh, I actually kind of like the do 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 Yeah. It's kind of cool. It almost sounds like Morse code or something like that. Uh, what I didn't know when I uh, in researching for this song is that it's basically the same chords as uh, a praise chorus, uh, yeah. which is kind of cool. Uh, it's basically th- that song slowed down 
uh, which is awesome. I think I got that right. Praise chorus. It's either praise chorus or bleed American, but I'm pretty sure it's a uh, praise chorus. But uh, this is one of those songs that uh, the Jimmy World classic sound off of something like Clarity that you can kind of imagine falling asleep to, staring out the window, looking at the stars or something. That's all I think about when I'm <laughs> listening to this song. But uh, what about you, Mike? What do you think about Cautioners? Yeah, it's an okay song. It's it's. We'll, we'll talk about it later with some of our questions here, but it's probably one of my least favorite songs off this album. I don't know. What about you, Brian? It's definitely not something that you, you never uh, have a radio station play. And I think no. it's no. funny that, um, you know, we're talking about it, it almost feels like the latter half of it is just stuff that, like, you would never even propose for a radio station to ever play. Where the first, where we're talking about top heavy, it's like first five, five, six. Like, you could argue that, that they can. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, as someone who likes kind of that more, more emo sounding vibe, um, and as someone who's also a fan of American football, it's, uh, to me, to me, I think it's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, when you, when you look at Bleed American, you might not necessarily be like, Hey, like, cautioners, you know? So, uh, <laughs> it, but it is certainly, I guess, like you, you can't write. 12 or whatever how many songs that there are uh, the same way so just a different look on the record I agree it's, it's nice to have a bit of a mix here and, and your posture is a, is a good uh, mix to it and we go to the, the, the second last song which is the authority song which is a reference to Authority Song by John Cougar Mellencamp from his 1983 album, Uh-huh, uh, which is a song about fighting authority and losing, uh, very similar to uh, The Clash's I Fought the Law. And um, it's basically, there's a bunch of references again in this song, very similar to a praise chorus and how a praise chorus is referencing a bunch of songs. Uh, this one is referencing Automatic by Jesus and the Mary Chain, uh, has Head On by them as well, uh, referencing What Goes On by The Velvet Underground. Uh, the song itself is is good. It's one of the songs that I would say I rediscovered when I was getting back into Jimmy Eat World, or I was getting into albums of Jimmy Eat World, and I listened to Bleed American for the first time in full, and I remember Authority Song really sticking out to me. I do like the the kind of the girl backing vocals that they have in there. I do like the the instrumentation of it too, the the, the hand claps. It, it feels like mm. a more fun song. I always found it strange that it was a, the tenth song on the album. It feels like a, it should have been earlier. Yeah, it feels more like a third or a fourth song, like before the first, uh, before like before the end of the first half. I'm trying so hard not to say the middle uh, of the <laughs> of the album. It doesn't feel like a penultimate song on the album, though. I, yeah. I agree. I love the lyrics in this song. It's almost telling a story of, uh, like you said, like someone kind of basically like basically someone listening to the song the authority song like it's a very self-aware song almost like talking about using a jukebox basically and picking authority song on that jukebox uh again the song runs into the same issues that i had with uh your house which is the lyrics get insanely repetitive yes uh especially towards the end they didn't know how to end all of their songs it seemed like they just kind of let them repeat uh (laughs) which is annoying i hate it when bands do that uh but like i don't seem obvious do i is repeated like eight times towards the end
just gets to be too much after a while. I need it maybe two or three times, uh, but I guess, like Brian said, like the middle is only two minutes and 45 seconds. Most songs on this record are under three minutes, uh, which is not something that happened on Clarity. I think the last song on that album is like 10 minutes long. Yeah. Um, most of that's just instrumental guitars. Uh, this time, they just decided to fill it with words. <laughs> uh, I would kind of prefer it if they didn't do that and just uh, did the the twinkly guitars that they did from uh, from Clarity. But I, I like the song a lot, too. It's got a bit of a bluesy sound to it, upbeat mm-hmm. drums. Uh, the drums really get a chance to not just be the basic, uh, you know, regular punk sound. Um, I can definitely see this kind of song being played at like a middle school dance or something. It, it would really, it really gets you up and moving compared to uh, a song like Cautioners, which is very slow, Hear You Me, which is very slow, and the last song on the album, which is uh, My Sundown. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, which uh, I guess we can lead into that right now, which uh, I, I like this song on the album. It's a good last song. Jimmy Eat World, they're very well known for uh, putting very slow songs at the end. And uh, long very songs. S- Oh yeah, very long at the very end. Uh, mm. Sad song, which is finger snaps. Uh, very simple bass line. Very simple guitars. And again, about seventy percent of this song is "No one cares." I could be so much more than this. <laughs> I could be so much more than Lots of repeating. Uh, in, mm. in terms of, so, uh, Jimmy Eat World, like you said, Neil, very, very famous for having uh, all their songs, all their, their final songs always being a long song. I think only one of their albums, which is the one actually I don't like, I think, uh, they do it where they have a short song. I think Damage just has a short song, but okay. all the other songs, all the other albums have uh, a song of five minutes or more on here. Uh, where does this stand out for you, Brian, for long songs on Jimmy Eat World ending songs? Of course, we have 23 is one. Congratulations is another one. Where does My Sundown fit there? Uh, I, I wonder, uh, and I'm just kind of spit, spitballing and thinking out loud here, because we talk about the fact that, like, it's almost like Jimmy Eat World needs, like, a win here, right? Because without Bleed American, if Bleed American didn't, wasn't the way it was, it would really do as well as it did. Um, we might not even... Like the band might not even be around this no. for as long as it did, yeah. and and so you wonder when you, when they poured all these stuff and like, and this is definitely like like you said, a Jimmy World staple. It's one of, maybe one of those songs that they're like, hey, we'll we'll write all these to be a lot more a lot of those songs on the album to be like shorter, a lot more crisper or whatever. Um, and maybe they're like fighting with 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 DreamWorks and being like, hey, like. Let us let us have this one where we, we can do whatever the heck we want. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering. I don't know. I don't actually know if that's true or not. Um, but that is generally a conversation that you do have with record labels. So ultimately, they have to give the green light, and um, you, you know, and artists definitely have to uh, fight for some of the stuff that, that appears on records. Uh, I don't know anything about DreamWorks Records, so I don't have a clue what other people are like. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe they're like, hey, look, let's just have this. One staple that we have is it's almost six minutes long, right? So for a band that puts us something like the middle, it's like two forty and like you know arena arena rock kind of songs uh, earlier on the album to have something like five forty something like that. Generally, bands who are probably a little more established get to get get away with stuff like that. But if you're if you're trying to if you, this is like more of a make or break record, maybe this is something that they had to kind of fight in. That is a good point. Yeah, I, and honestly, you're probably not too far off from the truth. To be honest, they they this this is certainly I'd say the closest track, other than maybe Cautioners, to Clarity. This 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 track could easily fit on on Clarity, um, mm-hmm. and and it definitely seems like it's something that that 
you're totally right, Brian. They want to have their a bit of their artistic integrity uh, still, and that even goes with the the lyrics as well. The lyrics are super dark. It's uh, it's kind of depressing actually. It's uh, really just about the, the the protagonist, you know, proclaiming that he's leaving to follow his dream, uh, expecting others to be proud of him, and soon finds that really no one seems to care for him or his dream. And um, that just means that this protagonist here is just saying goodbye either to the, those people or to the dream entirely, uh, which is uh, yeah a bit, a bit sad. I mean, it feels like I'm sure that this song was very basically like their it's the last song on the album that they probably thought when they were making this, like this could be our last album. So yeah. like this was probably written as like this may be the last Jimmy Eat World song ever to exist. So that's kind of what the lyrics sound like is it sounds like, you know, we gave this band our best. Uh, we put everything into it. Seems like no one really cares. So this is our sundown. Like this is it. So this is my it, sundown. Yeah. It kind of yeah. feels like the fi- this is the final fantasy of Jimmy Eat World. Like this is like when they thought, <laughs> and then they made seven records after that, and uh, you know they tour around the world every year and everything. So obviously this was not their sundown, but it definitely feels like this was kind of like their last. That like this album is our last shot. This is the last song on that album. So here it is. Damn. And obviously it went uh, pretty well for them because Bleed American is obviously our, our one of our favorite albums of all time. It's one of our favorite albums and just honestly a, a fantastic album from front to back. There are those songs there that uh, do get, uh, there's some repetitive lyrics for sure. And there's uh, uh, definitely not as radio friendly songs in the back half, but it's still a very interesting back half. And uh, one that I do enjoy listening to over and over again. I do have the vinyl, love to have it. Also have the CD. I'll be taking a picture of that for the for the Instagrams, of course. But um, Mila, it's time for some, <laughs> some fun questions. We like to do this with our guests and ourselves when we do our album breakdowns and reviews on this podcast and the first song that uh we got to ask you brian uh and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do brian neil me uh here uh what song would you want to play at a wedding from this uh this track list like no context just like yep. whatever i want it's my wedding i can do whatever I want. that's right yep <laughs> oh boy you're going to the, you're going to the dj with you're going to the, the, the dj with this cd what what song are you telling him to play i mean if it's like just to have a fun like i want to just like you know, have a fun time and everyone dance around and, and stuff, right? So let's just go. Let's just go a little bit friendly. Like in my in my mind, I'm like, all right, what do I think? That's a simple wedding is also like something that also that also be a banger at like karaoke. So I'll just I'll just play it safe. I'll go with the middle. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you know, everyone everyone on your wedding, mm-hmm. you know, could have a good time. <laughs> from like the six year old kid that you didn't invite that they have to bring along as they don't have a babysitter to. <laughs> You know, your your sixty something year old grandma, like you all have fun time with it. So it's a little bit safe and at the same time, like you and your homies are still having fun. So um I'll <laughs> nice. take the middle. I'm gonna have to go with if you don't don't, because like I said before, that feels like a dance song to me. Uh it's uh pretty quick all the way through. People can dance all the way through it. And like I also said before, I think Here You Me has definitely been played at weddings before. Uh incorrectly. But uh yeah, uh, if you don't don't would be my request. What about you, Mike? Which song would you want played at uh, at your let's go with your wedding. What song are you playing? Oh, you gotta play sweetness so everyone can go, whoa mm. in the in the dance floor. You know, everyone. Everyone, <laughs> even grandma. What song would you cut, Brian, from this album, if you had to choose one? Something off the second half. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> be Fair. more specific. I know. Right? We like we're talking about how legendary a song is. Let's go with your house. Actually, I, I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah, screw it. I'll, yeah. I'll I'll just go with your house. Like if I can go, 
like you check that out you'll be like bleed american trace chorus middle and then sweet yes like that sounds fine to me too uh-huh. yeah you stole my answer your house i've never liked that song so that's the <laughs> easy choice for me i would cut that one out or just replace it with the 2007 version for me but uh, what about you mike what song are you cutting from this album cautioners for me unfortunately it's a good song but i just like it just sounds a bit too much like clarity i do like that it gives a bit of a different vibe for the rest of the album and, and it mixes a it up a bit but that's always been the one that i i would skip over if i ever listened to this uh but yeah cautioners is probably my pick for that uh if you could add another song from a different jimmy eat world album yeah i would probably go with something off of futures uh i really like that album uh it's a great follow-up record to bleed american i like 23 off that one and i feel like since i took off your house which is kind of a slow song uh 23 would be a slow one off of futures that i would put on bleed american but uh what about you mike what would you take off of another album i would actually put congratulations on this album <laughs> put congratulations on all of their albums <laughs> <laughs> we, we we got we got congratulations part one like you said with get it faster so uh we we have my sundown we think it's over but no it's not over congratulations is here to end the album because how cool would it be to end off on that hard note with congratulations with that breakdown yeah. And then go right back into Bleed American when the album starts over. Like, that is pretty cool. I would agree. I would agree. Let's just go with Big Casino. Hmm. It's just one of those, like, it's almost in a similar vein. Yeah. It's pretty catchy to me. You can throw it in the top half or something. or And uh, it, I think it would still fit in. I like that a lot. Yeah, Big Casino is definitely... I mean, Chase's Light is definitely has that Bleed American feel for a lot of those songs with uh, with something like Big Casino. So yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, one song that has to be re-recorded today. What song do you want from that, Brian? Ooh. Um, re-recorded today? Maybe Cautioners? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. One of the slower ones. I would go with uh, maybe get it. I, I would go with uh, get it faster, just because like I feel like the first like chorus or the first verse of that song, rather, I can't understand what he's saying. Uh, <laughs> I would like that maybe to be cleaned up a little bit. Uh, just the transitions could be maybe worked on a little bit, but I don't want any of this album to be re-recorded for the record, no. just because like if you change anything about this, it'll just change the whole album around. So it's hard to pick one per se. But yes, I would go with that one. I would have to say. But what about you, Mike? Which song would you like to hear uh, re-recorded? A praise chorus, but updated the update the lyrics to like newer songs basically like reference the black parade or something i don't know <laughs> like just like newer emo songs oh i see what you're saying yeah, okay yeah, okay yeah. so that the crimson and clover part you're changing all of those yeah we should try that we should make one someday we could we could, we could it's possible <laughs> mike i feel like i need to ask you this song because yes, this is your question to answer so i'm gonna let you go first what would be your walk-up song off of bleed american well, I'm I'm gonna steal probably both your guys's probably. answers, and it's Bleed American. Yeah, it's, come on, walking up to Bleed American is so badass, so badass that in MLB The Show 20 that I own, I which you can upload your own songs to. Yes, that's right, Neil. I did uh, <laughs> upload Bleed American for me to walk up to. Uh, as my character does in uh, in MLB The Show 20. Beauty. Bleed American is my choice too. So Brian, I'm gonna kick it over to you right away. Is that also <laughs> your choice? Does Bleed American get the hat trick here? Uh, it depends what position I play. Ooh, ooh. You're up to plate. You're you're the batter. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, 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 no. So you can, because if you're in the bullpen and you come out, mm. you know, you get your own song. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, if I'm a reliever, it's Sweet American. If I'm up to the plate, I'm going Sweetest because it gets the people going. Like, 
Yeah. <laughs> mm. That's true. Sweetness they, is they the can other join choice. In. While I'm walking up, they can, <laughs> the fans can join in and, you know, I, and, and chant back. I just imagine you going like, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> Everyone has to do yeah. it. All 40,000 people at the, at the audience. And then and then the next time Brian comes up, it's, it's all six minutes of congr- congratulations. <laughs> I don't think the pitch clock allows you. No, objectively, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, just now this year they finally stopped. They stopped it. They put an end to it after too many people walked up to congratulations. But, but yeah, I don't think even yeah. Angel Fernandez would look that one. <laughs> no, he doesn't really have good eyes. But he might have good ears. <laughs> well, you have some good ears, but uh, yeah, this has been a, a great time talking with you, Brian, about Bleed American, about some Jimmy Eat World. Is there anything else about this album that you would like to talk about before we let you go? I mean, I, I think I'll touch on it a little bit. I, I feel like the band wouldn't be here today without it. Um, surely, I don't think they would have seven more records or whatever it is if Bleed American didn't do well. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I think this pretty much for one saved their career and, and number two it's I, I still throw it on from time to time and I, I, I enjoy the hell out of it so definitely one, definitely an all timer and uh, mm-hmm. something that still holds up 20 years uh, you know down the road well said Brian well said totally yeah it's uh, both Neil and I obviously still listen to this as much as we can it's a it's a great album and uh we look forward to having you back on the show real soon to talk about some more fun things but uh yeah it's been great having you on thanks for taking the time to uh to come on and talk about a little jimmy world and uh we'll see you for chase this light <laughs> we'll see you for surviving surviving actually yes, i think we should do good point <laughs> for congratulations just, That's just for, it's an, congratulations. an hour and a half about that song <laughs> take care buddy yeah absolutely thanks for having me guys all right take care See you later. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you so much, Brian, for coming on today. Uh, So much fun to have him on to talk about a little bit of Jimmy Eat World, a little bit of Bleed American today, one of our favorite records. One of his two, he had some great insight. Brian, of course, we never actually had said this on the show. Brian used to host a radio show. So Brian is very uh, up to date on how the music industry works. He's he's interviewed bands. He got to interview Soupy, uh, Soupy from um, yep. uh, uh, from uh, the Wonder Years, which is one of his favorite moments for sure. Uh, and uh, it's he is a great person to talk to about music. So I really wanted to have him on for an album that we talked about. I'm glad it could be Jimmy World, which is uh, and Bleed American, which is one of his favorite albums. And um, yeah, we had a great time. Yeah, yeah, I'll never forget that moment because I'm a huge Wonder Years fan. And I, I watch a lot of Dan Campbell interviews. And uh, it was like 2015 or something like that. And uh, I was I just stumbled across this Dan Campbell interview, Dan Soupy Campbell, and uh, being interviewed by Brian. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell's happening here? Like, it's kind of like it's kind of like in Seinfeld where they see Kramer on TV randomly on uh, one of the t- one of the sitcoms or whatever. Or they, they see him on uh, in the Tonys. Yeah, yeah, on the Tonys <laughs> or like on uh, on the uh, Murphy Brown Murphy Brown show and the. Uh, What's the one when he's talking about the coffee table book uh, with Regis, Regis Philbin? Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was one of those moments, honestly. And I was like, what the, I, had to, I was like, is this Brian? And he's like, yeah, it's Brian. It was so weird. But yeah, he's, he's so great funny. to talk about with music and yeah. uh, talking about bleeding and talking about middles and talking about <laughs> Denver mints and everything. Um, yeah, I think we need to have him back on, though, to talk about uh, surviving because obviously we're big fans of Congratulations, that, that song, which I think everyone, the takeaway from this episode <laughs> yeah. is to go listen to that record. <laughs> go and listen then, to a different record than the one we're talking about today. 
today. <laughs> Absolutely. But before we move on to our closing thoughts, Mike, I do really quickly want to talk about the music videos from this record, which we didn't yes. really talk too much about with Brian on. Uh, there's only two, I think, really two main ones, The Middle and uh, Sweetness. Yep. Um, everything else, there were four singles. Somehow Here You Me was not a single. I'm not sure how that happened. Probably just too sad. Uh, <laughs> but they only made music videos out of The Middle and uh, Sweetness. I think Sweetness was the music video that came first. Um, so we can talk about, we'll talk about that one first either way. But basically that music video is uh, the band performing in a bedroom sort of thing. And uh, they sort of transition to playing live and recording the song in a studio. And then back to the uh, recording the song in a bedroom. Kind of like they're making their demo and hitting it big. Almost like the Guitar Hero 3 storyline. Uh, what do you think of that music video? It's so funny because the, when I I didn't really remember these music videos that well. I remember like the songs. You know, we talked about Linkin Park and those those music videos. I definitely remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing those. I remember the Gundams and stuff like that. <laughs> but I didn't really remember the Sweetness or the Middle music videos. But of course, I remember them being on Much Music. Like they were in very heavy rotation on there. Uh, but I guess these music videos, for whatever reason, didn't capture me the same way mm-hmm. uh, as as they would in um uh, as they would something like Lincoln Parks. But yeah, it's it's funny. First of all, I just got to say, Jim Atkins looks the same. I know today. I know. <laughs> like, you see, and, and even Tom too. Like they all look the same. They just like they had the same haircut. They had the yeah. same face. Like they they haven't really aged that much. You can tell they're a bit older, but yeah. like. Not that much older. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Zach and Rick look a little rough today. I they will they say. look, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you're not really looking at them. You're looking at Tom and, I know. and, and mostly I know. Jim, obviously. And so those two really they, they look the same. It's really funny. I know. I love that. It is weird going back to watch these old music videos. And the other thing, too, with the, the sweetness video, they look so normal. Like, they don't look yeah, like rock just stars. Look like guys. Yeah, they just, I mean, Jim looks a little bit like a, a rock star. Like, he's got the middle part hair. He's a good looking dude. So, um, but Tom in the, in the in the Sweetness music video, he looks so bored. Like, he doesn't, doesn't look like that he wants to be there. And then the other two guys just look like normal dudes playing drums on the bed and playing bass or whatever. Like, they don't look, they, they're very unassuming rock stars. He uh, very very unassuming and yeah Tom always looks bored he uh, <laughs> uh, I, I've seen them twice now got lucky enough to see them twice and he's he's looked the same way he does a lot of smiles when like something will happen though which is sure. funny so he I feel like he's that guy who like is that his you, thing that's his thing you work to make him smile and okay. when he smiles you're like that's genuine that's nice to see uh, he's much more reserved and that's that one of the reasons why they they flipped it from Jim doing backups and Tom doing leads mm-hmm. to to so that Tom could just focus on on guitar work and he is a really really good guitarist uh, mm-hmm. that is to be said for sure uh, they, they are Brian mentioned it earlier but they are all extremely good musicians like they they take their craft seriously um, hearing them uh, talk about their musicianship on their podcasts uh and also i was able to watch uh during covid they put on something called the phoenix sessions which is when they would rent out these um these concert venues that weren't being used and they would they would pay to rent out these concert venues and play and stream for everyone and i thought that was really cool especially like this was around the phoenix mesa arizona area which is where they're from and this was their attempt to try to keep these concert venues in business uh, which was awesome. Cool. And they're like, yeah, like they, they helped us out so much when we were like starting out. Uh, we want to make sure that we kind of return the favor. So uh, they would do these these Phoenix sessions is what they call them. And it was just funny because they would they would, you know, zoom in and all the different uh, guys in the band. And yeah, Tom just, <laughs> just <laughs> never looking happy, just playing his guitar. He's like, yep, yeah, let's play the middle again. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I guess that that's like his shtick. That's that's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they are really good musicians. The one thing about the band is uh, the bassist Rick. Like, I feel like that the bass in all of these songs gets so buried and forgotten like there's not really any any jimmy world songs that i can point out to and be like yeah this is a great bass track or like even an album like even with like a lot of punk bands and pop punk bands and emo bands like the bassist does get left behind almost in every single case um like even i i think of a band like like i think of green day all the time like mike dern i don't know what happened to him but no 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 offense obviously he's a great bassist but oh yeah uh dookie is some of the best bass work that i've ever heard in my life like there's no lead guitar in almost any of those band in any of those songs because he is carrying the melodies in those songs it's incredible and then he just becomes basically a lot of the songs after uh after that album or at least after definitely american idiot like it's all just basic bass you know copy the, the the meme of you know copy and paste that bass track over and over again kind of stuff nothing super standout and i feel like that's every jimmy Eat world song is that the bass line just there isn't one ever uh no no solos obviously and nothing nothing super standout nothing as i was a bassist in high school there was nothing here that i was super <laughs> excited to learn good point actually that's a very good point i never thought of it that way but you're you're 100 percent true sorry that's 100% Rick. True. I, lo- I love you i love your songs but uh yeah unfortunately i maybe someone out there can uh, prove me wrong and point one out to me uh, congratulations is probably it honestly yeah uh, that breakdown <laughs> is know. probably the most impressive baseline he's done uh in all honesty but the second music video on the record is uh the middle which we talked a ton about already but this music video is iconic probably one of the yes, most iconic yeah oh everyone how can you not it's a bunch of uh, girls and guys dancing around a pool party in uh, just their bra and underwear and uh that's the basic music video it's just a house party that the band are playing at outside of a pool everyone's having a good time and there's a pair of people in that party who don't want to take their clothes off and they leave the party together with their clothes on and it's kind of a i guess a story about kind of not following the crowd and just doing what you want to do and uh being yourself it's one of those positive messages i think but uh just the band playing around a group of uh young young attractive people in underwear is just an iconic look for them so 2000s man so 2000s it's i mean this could be a blink uh, video as well. Oh, There's sure. some 41 video with the pool. It is funny how all these kind of this era, 99, 2000, 2001, they're all kind of similar vein videos. Uh, and this is definitely one of them. I know I remember seeing this be like, is this like some kind of orgy? Like what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just everyone just in their underwear, just and not even, they're not even wearing swimsuits. They're just, no. just in their underwear. Yeah. And it's at night too. Like, like if this yeah. was like a, a music video today, this would totally be something happening during the day. Like yes, that's mu- true. night music videos, party night music videos, don't happen like this anymore so and definitely bands don't play at them you get a dj or some something stupid like that but yeah, yeah great great music videos sadly there aren't any more it's only two on one of the most iconic emo records of all time but mm-hmm. that's all we had from bleed american mike before we close out today's episode though we usually talk about the future of a video game series or whatever but it's really hard to talk about that with a band who still actively tours records music puts out albums and i'm sure that we're going to get a new album from them probably within the next 12 months so not much to talk about there one thing i wanted to talk to you about though was the jimmy world era from 2007 to 2016 which is kind of not a blank space in terms of their popularity, but definitely an era where they weren't commercially successful, I would say. They didn't get as much radio play. Uh, I think Sure and Certain was probably one of the only songs that I think I ever heard from any of these albums on the radio, and mm-hmm. it was once. Um, but those albums were 2007's Chase This Light, 2010's Invented, 2013's Damage, 2016 with Integrity Blues, and 2019 Surviving. I know that we, you've talked very highly about the uh, 2019 album Surviving. I also really like that one. But what about the other four albums in there? Were there any of... Did you like those albums? Do you like those albums now? And which one's your favorite? Which one's the one that you've forgotten? Uh, let's talk about that for a few minutes. 
Integrity Blues is what what actually stands out to me. I love that album. I I think of that album as a bit of their comeback uh, because okay. uh, Damage is a it's an okay album. That's the one with the umbrella on the cover. Yeah. Uh, it's a very okay album. It doesn't have a great number of like good songs on it. It feels a bit commercial. It it just there's nothing special about Damage at least in my mind uh, that makes it stand out. Integrity Blues, the band has talked about that as being like their favorite album, even today, which is funny. Hmm. Uh, they really enjoyed recording that. I think Damage, that they weren't super happy with each other and their relationships too. I think there was some stuff going on in the background and Integrity Blues, they kind of sing about a lot of that. It, you, you definitely need things to happen to have things to like sing about, to, like, right? Like, True. like you, you, you need some content for that. And Integrity Blues is, there's, it's very much a bit of like a divorce album. Uh, and a lot of the songs are sad, but, but complex and interesting. Um, you or me, uh, which is the first song off of Integrity Blues is a great, great first track. Really uh, sets the tone for sure. And Integrity Blues, the, the the title song is a great track. Paul Roger, uh, Paul Roger, is the the final song, uh, which is a bit of a longer one as they do. But um, Integrity Blues is is when Jim Atkins really like is going for it for vocal uh, vocal wise. Mm. Uh, I highly recommend listening to that song. Also, Pass the Baby, which is a really strange different kind of song that they have never done before or since that is one of their favorites uh as well so integrity blues is the one that stands out for me what about you neil interesting yeah i i listened i listened to all these albums at some point or another and i was going through it and uh invented is probably the one that i'm the least crazy about in all yeah. honesty the 2010 album i've listened to it a few times and i can't I can't remember anything about it, to be honest yep. with you. There's just nothing <laughs> overly wow about it, honestly. Damage, I actually think Damage is a pretty underrated album. Like, every okay. time I listen to it, I like it. I don't know what it is about it. Sure. Uh, I can't even tell you any of the songs on it right now. Yeah. I just, I have in my notes here, I literally have Damage, underrated album. And I don't know, <laughs> I'm going to go surprise myself later and listen to it. Nice. Uh, I love Integrity, Blues, and Surviving. There's nothing wrong with those albums at all. They're very enjoyable. A few tracks on each one that I really like. Of course, Congratulations and Sure and Certain. Really cool songs. I love Chase This Light. They're 2000 album i know it's it's probably the most poppy that their albums get like it's the most kind of clean and produced uh songs but big casino it's a really cool opening track um i like dizzy it's a cool song i like the acoustic version of it uh let it happen always be carry you like it's a really good first four tracks again a lot like bleed american this album is very similar to that where like the halfway point it's really easy to kind of forget the songs uh the single chase this light is very good so i listen to that album all the time I really like it. There's a deluxe edition of that one too. Jimmy Eat World put out great deluxe editions of their albums. Anytime they put out one of those things, I'm listening to it because the demos are good. The live versions are good. The alternate versions are good. So yeah, definitely check out anything that they do in terms of deluxe editions. But that's kind of where I stand with their 2007 to 2016 era. Of course, we love Clarity, uh, Bleed American, and Futures. That's kind of like the Jimmy Eat World trilogy uh, that most emo bands today are highly highly influenced by um but that's kind of all i have to say today about bleed american and jimmy world mike are you are you satisfied with today's topic i'm very satisfied if you haven't already (laughs) definitely go listen to 
uh, Blade American, go listen to some Jimmy World. Go listen to uh, uh, On a Sunday off of Clarity, which oh, we got Sunday. to hear on uh, uh, at uh, our show in Toronto. That was mm-hmm. one of my favorite songs off of Clarity, and they played it. I was really, really happy. I uh, love that song so much. And yeah. it's a Sunday today, Neil. That's I was going to say, we're recording this episode on a Sunday, so we're going to go listen to On a Sunday on a Sunday, and then we'll have to wait until next week to listen to that song again. But Mike, <laughs> while we're waiting for the next Sunday to roll around so we can listen to some more Jimmy World, why don't you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 32 of the unlocking what was cool podcast on episode 32 we are talking about uh, eternal darkness i had to think for a second there <laughs> eternal darkness sanity's requiem we are very excited to talk about this uh, game we talked about it way back on episode 13 of the gamecube was cool podcast we did not do it justice at all neil <laughs> i listened to it uh, this week to start some research we only talked about it for like 15, 20 minutes. Uh, there's so much more to be said about it. We're going to have some friends of the show come on to talk about it as well. It's such a unique, interesting game that has never got a remaster, a remake, and is stuck on the GameCube. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about it with you. I can't believe how how little we talked about uh, Sanity's Requiem. Uh, one of the cult classics, one of the very best of the GameCube, and a game that needs to come back. It should have become a franchise. Really, really big missed opportunity with Nintendo and Silicon Knights there. So I'm excited to play the game again this week and uh, talk to you about it uh, on next week's episode. So that's going to be a ton of fun. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 31 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. All patrons get to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. Thank you so much to everyone over there. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Jimmy, try not to eat the whole world, and Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Bye, Jimmy. Take care, Jimmy. We'll see you soon. The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. Our podcast is fan-funded by our listeners on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. The show is produced, hosted, and edited by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. AJ Olson 11, Bogus Lotus, Cube Dude, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Marty Thompson, Sparks Fly 027, and Way Overrated. If the world was made of food, what would be the first thing that you would eat? Lasagna. Just, you'd go back to eating food? You wouldn't eat anything? <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> what, are you, what, what kind of answer is <laughs> I'm sorry. I was, I was thinking of something else. And I, I, that would just like completely just you're, live thinking of lasagna. You're just hungry for lasagna right now. Well, I was, my thing was going to be that if, if Jimmy World's like, like, you know, you can only listen to them on Sundays. Are they, are they like Garfield? You know, mm. where you can only... They, he, he doesn't work on Mondays. He doesn't eat lasagna on Mondays either. They are very much a Sunday band. I would definitely go and eat the Rogers Center in Toronto. Yes. That is the – I have that in my notes here. I would definitely go and eat the Rogers Center. That is the most delicious-looking building in Toronto. That is a delicious-looking building from yeah. up top. Uh, maybe oh, yeah. eat the Great Wall of China because, like, you can see it from space. So, like, it's probably, like, a, a nice pasta or something. You think it tastes like a pasta? Okay, it's like a savory. I think the Rogers Center is going to be – Ooh, I, I figured it always looked like a boiled crunchy. egg. Yeah, crunchy. Yeah, that's probably it. Who knows? I'll go find out right now. And then maybe something will taste like lasagna. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>